Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Good morning, everyone. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. We'll begin in verse 28. We finished with 27 last week. Long before all of this is set into motion that we're going to read, long before this, the Pharisees had already decided that Jesus needed to die. They were always looking for a way to kill him. And it happened early in the story, if you remember it, as early as, as back in chapter 3, that it says the Pharisees sought to kill him. So it's been a long process here that this has been going on. But even before that, we're told in Scripture that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So before any human being ever existed, before there were any planets in the sky, God had already set in motion that Jesus would be slain. He knew what mankind would do, and Jesus would come to save us from our sin. It's interesting to note here that the Pharisees and Sadducees did not need Rome's permission to kill Jesus. They could have, by their own law, taken him out and stoned him for violating what they believed was their scriptures, their holy laws. But they didn't want that. They wanted to kill him by crucifixion, the cruelest form of capital punishment that mankind knew. They wanted that. And of course, God had always planned for that, that Jesus would die on a tree with his arms outstretched for you and for me. The hatred by the religious elite had reached a level of not simply putting Jesus to death, but putting him to death by the worst means. The first trial that took place, and there will be six that happen all in a short period of time on that Friday morning that Jesus is arrested. He's taken to Annas' house first. We read that last week. Annas was the high priest, but apparently he did something wrong and upset probably the Romans, and he was removed from office. He was allowed to pick his replacement, and he picks his son-in-law, of course. No nepotism there, but he picks his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So Jesus is taken before Annas first, because he really controls things behind the scenes. And then Annas passes him off to Caiaphas, and then Caiaphas is not able to deliver the penalty of crucifixion, so they march him off to the Roman Pilate. The third is taken place at the Antonio Palace, which is Pilate's governmental courtroom. Not finding any reason to put Jesus on trial, especially one involving this type of capital punishment, passed him on to Herod. Herod interviews him. Jesus will not speak to him, just stands there. Herod finally goes, yeah, he's not my problem. And he sends him back to Pilate. And Jesus is being passed around to these different judges, so to speak, but none can find him guilty. The Praetorium archaeologists say that they have unearthed in recent years, along with the dungeon or underneath it, is likely the place where Jesus was beaten. Debbie and I have gotten to go see it. You go down this little tiny staircase. It's the only staircase down to the dungeon. And you go down to this very dark room. Uh, it was a place where they held the prisoners that were going to be tried. And, sh- and surely Jesus would have been there at some point. Probably and likely he was beaten half to death there on those pavements. 
Today's sermon is called Jesus on Trial. And John focuses primarily on the trials overseen by this Roman governor Pilate, who today we might call Judge Pilate, because that will be his job today. And the interaction that he had with the Son of God and what the focus was of his interrogation of Jesus. Like any good judge, he has inquiries to make. He has four that I see. The four inquiries of Judge Pilate, we're going to look at them. We begin with inquiry number one. What are the criminal charges? You can't have a courtroom case without charges. And so immediately, Judge Pilate wants to know, what are the charges here? Let's begin our reading in John 18, verse 28. Pilate needed to establish the charges. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. The sun is just coming up. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, if you were a Jew, you couldn't walk into a Gentile's building, or you would become what's called defiled. And then you would have to go through this ritual cleansing. This is Passover. This is the biggest day of the year for them. They don't want to be defiled. So the Pharisees and all the Jews have to stay outside. So they're in that courtyard that you might have seen in the front of the praetorium. There's a, some staircase that goes up into the praetorium. They can't go up the stairs or they'll become defiled. So they remain down in the courtyard. Pilate then went out to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? What are the charges? Verse 30, they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Does that sound like an answer to the, his question? Or does that sound like they're kind of trying to go around him? Pilate's not stupid. He's a pretty smart guy, actually. So he reads right past this statement. He asked a specific question. They gave him a very generalistic answer. So he presses them. Verse 31, then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. If he's done something, you know, to violate your Jewish law, just go ahead and take him away and judge him. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. It's not true. They could stone him, but that's not what they wanted. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus already prophesied that he would be crucified. So there would be no other outcome. There was a fine line between keeping the peace there in Rome an open rebellion between Rome and the Jews, and Pilate knew that tensions swelled during the Passover feast. The city of Jerusalem was somewhere between 250 to 400,000, historians say at this moment. But when Passover came, it brought an additional million people. And the last thing Pilate wants is for a rebellion to overflow when there's 1.5 million people, and he only has about 300 soldiers. It will not go well if that happens for his, him and his soldiers. They rule by force and fear. But if an open rebellion gets widespread, they're going to lose. And the last thing the governor wants is for any problems like this to happen. But even in this, God is working. God's plan to use Pilate to convict his one and only son and send him to the cross that would bring salvation to mankind. In the end, the, uh, the religious elite brought three charges against Jesus. We read about these in the other Gospels. Here they are. I'll just summarize them for you. Number one, they claim that Jesus had led the Jewish nation away from God, that, that he was pulling them away from the one true God. 
Number two, that Jesus had suggested they refuse to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, that's a trumped-up charge because we know that's not true. Number three, he claimed to be the Jewish king, the Messiah. And these were completely fabricated lives for Jesus had always sought to connect the people with his heavenly father. Quite the opposite of what they claimed. He had stated that we should render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus said, yeah, pay your tax. If that's what the government requires of you, pay your taxes. And while Jesus stated he was God, he never sought political titles such as king, as they suggested, although rightfully he is the king of kings. We're looking at the four inquiries of Judge Pilate. Inquiry one, what are the criminal charges? And inquiry number two, is Jesus guilty as charged? He has to decide this, and he alone will decide this. We continue our reading, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He goes back into the praetorium again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? I love how Jesus has conversations. Because he rarely answers the statement or your question with a, with a simple answer. What do we hear? We hear him ask a question. You know, time and time again, people have tried to trap him in a corner so they could arrest him and kill him. And then Jesus flips the script and asks that person a question to which they can't answer. Because if they answer it, it either makes them guilty or is the opposite of what they want said. But Jesus answered him with this. Are you speaking for yourself? Hey, uh, Pilate, are you asking this question because you want to know? Or are you asking the question because you've heard this said about me? All of the four Gospels record that Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews. The governor would have good reason to find out if the man in front of him was in fact claiming to be this Jewish Messiah and king that would overthrow Roman rule there in Israel. Are you, wait a minute, are you this long-awaited guy? Because the Jews believe that Messiah is coming and they're going to cause a lot of problems when he does. We're going to have a, apparently this war. You're going to try to rebel against Rome. Are you this guy that's going to cause me a problem? Pilate must have breathed easier, though, when Jesus tells him that he's a king, but not of this world. His kingdom is in another world. But Jesus' inquiry of Pilate was a clarifying question. Are you referring to me as a political king? Or do you want to know about my spiritual kingship? Interesting that Jesus was forcing Pilate to answer his own query. After all, Jesus wasn't on trial in this moment. He was putting the governor on trial. Pilate's inquest continues in verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? No doubt the question dripped with sarcasm. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus graciously answers this man's question by explaining himself. This time he'll give him a straight up answer. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Have you ever wondered what Jesus' main reason for coming into humanity was? To bring us life, and that's a secondary reason, but yes, to show us 
His attributes of the Father, yes. Yes, that's true, but it's secondary. Jesus is going to tell us why He came into the world right here. It's a powerful answer. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly, for I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Here it is. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Up until now, men and angels had delivered God's truth, but nowhere in time had God come down to speak it from his own mouth until now. God had sent his one and only Son into the world to declare by no uncertain terms his truth straight from his own mouth that the world was infected with sin, and that only faith and surrender in Christ's atonement could set them free from the consequences of the sin, which is death. You remember, up until this point, up until Jesus was born, God had remained silent for 400 years. Israel had been seeking after God to speak. Somebody, a word from God, God had been quiet for 400 years. And then he sent his son into the world and he came to declare the truth that was from his father. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? I believe at that point he's saying truth is relevant. What is truth? Yeah, Jesus, you have some, your truth. I have my truth. Those people screaming to murder you, well, they have their truth too. But Pilate's concerned here now. His choices were forced his destiny already decided by the great I am and from the foundations of the world. And when Pilate had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Should King Jesus be released? Clearly, Pilate's not convinced that he's done anything wrong or at least worthy of this execution, especially this form of execution. Pilate is seeking a way out. So he goes back out. Verse 39, he's speaking to the crowd and the Pharisees again out in the courtyard. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Every year they would release one of the Jewish prisoners. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now this is condensed. Matthew and Luke both expound upon this. What happened was he brought out Barabbas. Now Barabbas was not only a robber, he was a murderer. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Matthew 27 gives us a little broader view of this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium after he'd been outside talking, or the governor talking to the crowd. They took Jesus back into the praetorium and apparently downstairs and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. The game was over for Jesus that day. Pilate, thinking who could appease the angry crowd, had Jesus beaten severely. Verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. His desire is that they look upon this disfigured man beating him so severely he was unrecognizable. Where he stood, it would be covered in a puddle of blood for he's bleeding profusely at this point. What Pilate's hoping to do is say, hey, we've taken care of this now. Let's just all go to our own homes now and let's be done with this. But the Jews aren't having any of it. Verse 6, Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw Jesus, they cried out saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said to them, You take Him and crucify Him, for I find no fault in Him. He's washing His hands. Both literally and figuratively, he washes his hands that day. He wants nothing to do with what's happening in front of him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Inquiry number four, he wants to know, where does Jesus come from? Now that sounds, might sound funny. He's a Nazarene. He came from Nazareth. Everyone knows that. That's not the question, though. He wants to know where he comes from. They had adopted the Greek mythology. They believed Greek gods and their offsprings would oftentimes come down into the world to interact with men and women. These fables conjured fear in the hearts of the hearers. And Pilate may have considered these stories as he interacted with Jesus. No doubt he had never met a man quite like the man who was standing in front of him. This man who claimed to be a king. His calm responses, even after being beaten, he was calm. His confident nature and his powerful presence presented an intimidating response to this governor. Everyone else had a look of fear, would not look the governor in the eyes. But this man is different. This man looks me in the eyes. He tells me the truth. How interesting. Where did you come from? And while everything in him shouted, he's innocent, there was a bloodthirsty crowd shouting in the background, crucify him, crucify him. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus had stated that he was not of this world. Was Pilate imagining a Greek God's son standing before him? And what would happen to him if he killed one of the gods? He doesn't want to do this. This guy didn't do anything to deserve crucifixion. And yet, the crowd, I can't have them getting so mad that they, there's an insurrection. He said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus is silent. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answers one last time. 
You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. In essence, this is my Father's will. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. They're invoking Caesar. They hate Caesar. The Pharisees hated Caesar with a passion. But he's useful right now, so they're going to invoke his name. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day, verse 14. It was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, or this is Friday at noon. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. He brings Jesus out in front of everyone now. That place would have had thousands of people in it. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The Roman governor was in between a rock and a hard place here. And his wife didn't make it any easier. She sends a servant to go give her husband, Pilate, a message. Verse 19, while he was, this is Matthew 27, 19, by the way, Matthew records this part. While he was sitting on the judgment seat in that courtyard, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate will wash his hands. I don't find any fault in him. You take him. His blood be on your heads, and you go do what you need to do. But I find no fault in him. He asked the crowd, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. <laughs> wow. I guarantee you that... <laughs> The chief priest had never uttered those words in his life, nor would he ever utter them again. Someone said, referred to the common masses as useful idiots. You heard of that one? Verse 16, then he delivered them, or he delivered him, Jesus, to them to be crucified. Pilate washes his hands, hands Jesus off to the Jews he authorizes the crucifixion squad of Romans to go help them do what they're going to do. Then they took Jesus and led him away. When Pilate brought the Lord back into his palace to ask him more questions that second time, Jesus remained silent. Why? Jesus had already answered Pilate. Pilate didn't like the answer. He wasn't going to restate the answer. He just stood there silent. Jesus remained quiet to fulfill an ancient prophecy about himself written 800 years before this by a prophet by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, you've probably heard this or read it yourself. 800 years before this, the prophet said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed wow all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on jesus the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted here it is yet he opened not his mouth he opened not his mouth 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 800 years later, the lamb stood before Pilate, dripping in blood, and refused to open his mouth. Listen, Jesus wasn't there to offer up a defense for himself. He knew that this was the plan from God, his Father. He had been given the cup of suffering. He's not going to refuse it now. So he stands silently awaiting the ultimate end. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? We all have to answer that question. You don't get to sidetrack it. You might think, well, I'm not going to answer. But in doing so, you answer. That's a rejection. Jesus says, will you follow me? You have to say yes or no. There's no middle answer. There's only yes or no. The religious elite responded by condemning him. The sick, lame, and blind praised him. His disciples said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then they all hid out while he was being crucified. Pilate, torn between emotions, gave him up to the fear he felt in his heart. Who are you in this story? The one who condemns Jesus? Perhaps the one torn by emotions? You can change your destiny with a simple decision today. Jesus said, repent. Come to me. Surrender your heart. Surrender your life. And follow me. Have you made that decision today? You decide today where you'll spend in eternity. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.